Our gracious and loving God, we praise you for the Lord Jesus. Praise you that he came as a light to a dark world and spoke as men before had never spoken and taught us how to live as your people. And we pray that as we begin to look at this great and famous Sermon on the Mount, you would begin to shape us in his image and for your glory. Amen. The first century world in which Jesus lived was founded on honour. I guess we've all heard of honour killings, but we don't really get an honour culture these days. But many uh, cultures around the world are still honour-based. A good friend of mine lives in Japan, and uh, Japan is still an honour culture. They have a phrase over there. The nail that sticks up gets hammered down. I quite like that. It's quite pithy, isn't it? Uh, It means that in our society we have a fixed way of doing things. This is how we live. And if you stand up, if you stand out, if you, if you make yourself different than what people expect, you will be hammered down. Honour is ascribed to the one who, who fulfils all the things that the culture expects of them. That is, we, uh, we decide for ourselves what our culture ought to be. Whether that's a goth culture, British values culture, pop culture, drinking culture, or any other kind of uh, global or subculture, we decide how you ought to live without reference to God, usually. Last week we saw that uh, Jesus calls that darkness. Human beings, like everything else in God's creation, were made for him. We were made to reflect his glory. We're made for a relationship with him. We're made to be like him. That is, God gets to decide what a culture ought to be. Now, that's not a popular thought in our culture today, is it? That someone outside of our culture, God, gets to decide what we're for. You might be sitting there resisting the idea. Certainly, the darkness resists the idea. But you will never understand the Sermon on the Mount unless you grasp that God, in creating the kingdom of heaven, as we saw last week, as Jesus calls people out of the darkness into his people, God gets to decide what it looks like to be part of his, uh, his kingdom, his culture, if you like. Last week we saw that Jesus comes to the darkness as light. He shows us what God is like. He shows us what we're supposed to be like. He shows us what it is to be part of his kingdom. And now we come to this most famous of Jesus' teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. I want us to be clear at the outset that this is not simply an ethical code, a way to live to get right with God. This is Jesus' kingdom manifesto. It is full of ethical teaching. It will demand that we live this way. And if we're here this morning simply to grab brains, Jesus will have much to say to us. But notice, will you, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, and there were great crowds, uh, he went on the mountainside, he sat down, and, he, and his disciples came to him. Because Jesus here is teaching those who are inside the kingdom. Those who last week repented of the darkness and have come into the light and have become his people. And so for those of us who are Christians here this morning... We are to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him. 
He's going to call us at the end of this chapter to be perfect as his heavenly father is perfect. Jesus is challenging our ethics. He is going to raise the bar far higher than we can ever hit. Jesus is saying, you and I were saved for a purpose. We live in a culture where we we think that we're the centre of the universe, don't we? We're the centre of our own narrative. And when we become Christians, that doesn't change very quickly, does it? We still think that it's all about us. There's a danger that we think, so long as my eternal future is secure, Jesus has died for me, I'm going to heaven, done and dusted. Brilliant. That's secure. Sit back, relax, and wait for Jesus to return. But you see, God is at the centre of the universe. And he has saved us for a purpose, to be light, as Jesus is light, as we'll see next week. And Jesus, because he's God of everything, is concerned about everything in your life and everything in my life. Everything that you are and everything you have and everything you will be and everything you do belongs to uh, that purpose, glorifying God. Jesus is teaching us here how to live in the muck and dust of everyday life for him. It, It is, if you like, Jesus calling us to stick up in our culture, to risk being hammered down, to be different, to be a light in the darkness. Perhaps, of course, you may be here as somebody who isn't yet a Christian, somebody looking into Christian things. Perhaps you've come with a friend. Perhaps you've seen something different in your friend and you want to understand what it is that makes them different. Well, notice that Jesus has the crowds gathered around People listening to him, people wanting to know what Jesus is all about. And so Jesus invites you this morning to sit down and listen, to gather round. But as I said, be aware, Jesus is not teaching you here how to get right with God. For so many of us, we think that if we just do the right things, God will be happy with us. Well, as you sit here with us over the coming weeks, and you see just how high Jesus raises the bar, you'll realise that we can never... Uh, do everything that Jesus commands. We can never be good enough. So what is this passage for you then? If it's not a series of ethical commands, what is it for you? I take it it serves two purposes for you if you're looking into Christian things this morning. The first is, it will help you to understand why your friend is different. If you're here with a, a Christian friend, you find their life intriguing, this passage will help you to understand why. But secondly, Jesus is here holding up a vision for a redeemed community, a a vision for a new people, a new kingdom, a way of living that is totally countercultural and glorious. And so as you follow Jesus' teaching over the coming weeks, you will see a picture that I hope is incredibly attractive, a kingdom you'll want to be part of as you see just how great it is. Nevertheless, it is a sermon. We are listening to Jesus implicitly giving a series of commands here. He does expect us as Christians to live like this. He is holding up a vision of what we should be as a community here in Earlsfield. Now, I'm going to see if I can illustrate this. It won't be as graphic as last week, I'm afraid. But imagine this little balloon is a person. See the little picture on there? And my little balloon man wants to get as big as he can. Perhaps he's uh, born into the right family. And... Oh, hello. 
and he gets a little bit bigger, and he gets the right education. And he becomes more important, and he's disappearing now. Uh, And he gets the right job. And he marries well. And he gets promoted, and he becomes more and more important. More control, more governance of the world around us. See, we're not an an honour culture here, are we? Uh, this isn't an honour culture. We're, a, we're more of a power culture, I think. Honour, insofar as we care about it. Reputation, insofar as we care about it, is about us being in the right position to govern our lives. We're more concerned about, uh, about wealth, about success, about being in the privileged position to uh, be lord and master of all we survey. But of course there's a limit, isn't there? I want you to imagine... For a moment, if you will, that my box here represents the world. I I grant it's a bit of a steep request. But I want you to imagine that all these these balloons represent people. And there's not a huge amount of space in there. There's a limit to the amount of power there is to go around, the amount of money, the amount of uh, good reputations to go around. See, it's survival of the fittest in there. It's not a surprise, I think, that as a culture we're in the habit of of killing off the weak, of the unborn. We don't really care about them. The the elderly. Where was it? My elderly person. It's even shriveled up for me. My my elderly, you see. You know, we just we want to euthanise them. We're not too fussed. We want to make space, you see, as a culture. Uh, space for my power, space for my, uh, my control. And so we uh, assert our power to, on the weak. We marginalise, we uh, brutalise, we eliminate the unborn, the elderly, and they're just the first. Of course, we see it in lots of other ways, don't we, as a society. It's the city businessman who upgrades to wife 2.0 because she's more beautiful than the other. It's the backbiting in the office that... Uh, puts ourselves forward and puts the other person down. Perhaps it's the gossip in church where we share points for prayer, private truths about other people. See, we're not immune to this, are we? We live in a society that is uh, desperate to put ourselves forward, to grow our own uh, space at the expense of others. And Jesus says, don't just see the light, Don't just recognise the light. Step into it and be transformed by it. And so we come to our our first main point, the happy state of those who know their brokenness. The Beatitudes here, Jesus' famous, pithy, powerful uh, summaries of uh, of the moral life of the Christian, move from uh, verse 3, our self-awareness before God, through to our engagement with the world uh, in verses 9, 10 and so on. And here in verses 3 to 6, we're dealing with the interior life of the Christian. This is the stuff that you can't see. This is the stuff that should be going on in all of us, in our heads and hearts. The word blessed here, by the way, doesn't mean happy, but it does mean the sort of the happy situation of. Because, of course, Christians are not always happy. And it would be a weird thing to say, happy are those who mourn. But the blessed, the happy situation 
the whole life seen together of the Christian, the enviable position of the Christian. And what is that position? Some of you, like me, might once have been to a nightclub. I guess some of you might still do that. It's been quite a while for me, and I guess uh, some of us are even older than that. But perhaps many of us can remember back to those times. At the end of the night, the music stops, the lights go up, all the people look around blinking, and what do you see? There's the broken glass and the drink spilled to make the, the floor sticky and crunchy at the same time. There's the bloke in the corner passed out in a a sea of his own vomit. There's the girl in the other corner who's crying at love lost. And there's the the guy sneaking out of the toilets where he's been dealing drugs all night. Of course, it was like that all along. It's just with the music blaring and the lights down and everybody else dancing around, nobody noticed. But now the lights have come and you see the world the way it really is. And nobody wants to hang around in a nightclub when the music's off and the lights are up. My friends, Jesus has come as the light. And he shows us not only what the world is like, he shows us what we are like. Jesus comes to live and to speak in a way that acts as a contrast to the way we have been living. And as Jesus, we're just, as Christians, we're just as exposed as everybody else. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, our little balloon man, wherever I put him, he's full of his own self-importance, isn't he? Puffed up with his achievements. But Jesus comes along and says, you are poor. The word means destitute. It means living on handouts. The church is a benefit state. We have nothing to give. Spiritually speaking, we have nothing to offer God. And yet the person who recognises that fact, the person who knows they're poor in spirit, is blessed. Notice that Jesus isn't saying that there are some who are poor in spirit and some that aren't. He's saying there are some who recognise the fact that everybody is poor in spirit. Nobody has anything to offer to God. We're no poorer than other people, but we recognise the fact. And so we come with our hands out, pleading for grace. Nothing to offer but our need. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, this is teaching for the people who are already in. Yours is, present tense, the kingdom of heaven. But there's more than recognition, isn't there? Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So this is mourning over sin as though you were mourning over the grave of your your favourite relative. See, the Christian should see their brokenness, exposed by the beauty and the perfection of Jesus, and be so horrified at their sin that they are mourning. We should mourn over our sin and over the brokenness of the world we live in. And so, my Christian brothers and sisters, do you spend enough time looking at Jesus that it brings you to mourn over your sin? Do you cling to him every day for grace, that free gift of salvation that you do not deserve? Even uh, even when looking at your greatest good works, do you see that Jesus' bar is so much higher that you must cling to him again? These two verses here, verses 3 and 4, are drawn straight out of Isaiah 61, which we had read earlier. In that passage, Jesus is predicted coming and proclaiming joy and freedom and into the darkness and into mourning. He comes to proclaim comfort. You will be comforted, verse 4. He proclaims comfort to a world that's in despair. 
For those who mourn sin, for those who are horrified by the state of the world, Jesus comes as the light, as the promise, as the one who says, one day it won't be like this anymore. There will be comfort for those who uh, hate the darkness. In the midst of the morning, then, we can cling to Christ, who has made a way through his death and resurrection for us to come into heaven, into the kingdom. And in the kingdom, there is comfort in our mourning. But in verse 5, Jesus moves us on again. See, he anticipates us doing something more than simply mourning over our own and the world's brokenness. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek, not weak, notice. You might be the biggest balloon in the room. The one with all the power, the one with the wealth and the reputation and, and lackeys all around you. You may be that person. The meek person is the gentle person. The one who's concerned for others. The one who's humble enough to serve. See, the meek person has changed how they see the world. For a start, um, we've, got to, we've got to change how we, how we see the world. Get rid of that. See, there's a new person in the middle of the, in the, middle of the room. Let's see if I can fit that in. Okay. See, Jesus is the big balloon. I can't grow to be the big balloon because Jesus is the one who occupies the throne. And so uh, the Christian, well, they're going to have to reduce themselves, aren't they? I can't be puffed up with pride. I can't get my little pink balloon man in there. There's no space for that. I've got to humble myself. I've got to let the air out. I've got to stop trying to be the king. But more than that, you see, the meek person tries to make space for others too. Do you see the difference? It's a survival of the fittest world, isn't it? Dog eat dog. Every man for himself. And in that world, we put others down. They're the competition. But Jesus calls for gentleness. He calls for uh, no self-assertion. Whatever your privileged position is, are you humble enough to look out for others? It's the attitude that doesn't think more highly of myself than I ought, but actually thinks more highly of others, as Paul says. In fact, according to verse 6, it will give us a new hunger and thirst. That's starvation language. But we're starving for righteousness. See, the Christian is someone who sees the world with the lights on. We see the brokenness in ourselves and others, and we, we despair over it. We mourn over it, and we want something different. We want a world that is righteous. We long to be righteous, as we should be. See, the Christian longs for change. We long for uh, Christ's righteousness. See, Christ is consistently in the, in the New Testament presented as the righteous one. That is the one who's in a perfect relationship with God, who perfectly lives out the call that God has put on them. Jesus is everything he was supposed to be in a way that we never are. And we should long for that. Long to be like that and long to see that in the world. See, the Christian longs to see the world put right. To see righteousness in themselves and in others. Hungry to see the end of the darkness. For the person who longs for such a world, they will be satisfied, you notice. You will be filled. Uh, it's an eating image for the hungry. It means to be stuffed with food. 
Actually, we will get stuffed. How? Because the kingdom is coming. The kingdom that Jesus showed us last week as he healed sickness and drove back death, well, in that world where there is no sin, there is no brokenness, there's no pain, there's no suffering, it's all gone. The day is coming when the righteousness that we should long for will happen. Jesus will bring an end to all that darkness. Let me try and make this a little concrete for us. Are we ever overinflated with a sense of our own importance? Do we grab at money and power and reputation? Do we fight to, to fill our balloon with as much air as we can at the expense of others? How, do, how can we know? Uh, let, me, let me offer this as a diagnostic question. How do you use your words? James says that the way we use our words can be very constructive or destructive. So how do you use your words? Do you use your words to build others up? Or do you tear them down and so build yourself up? Examples. Uh, men. Uh, banter. Do you use your words to build others up? Or, or do you use your words to slightly prick the balloon of other people? Let the air out a little bit. That's kind of how our culture relates, isn't it? Should we be the same? Or should we be different? Ladies, um, do you use uh, prayer and prayer points, for example, as a cover for gossip? Do we use our words to tear others down? Or do we use our words to build others up? And if we are prone to doing those things, do you see that, that that might be because we're prone to inflating our own balloon? We want to be bigger than we're meant to be. And we want to take others down along the way. See, if we're we're too proud, then maybe we need to come back to Jesus. We need to come to him, the perfect light, the king of the kingdom, and see ourselves in that light, mourn for our sin, humble ourselves before him. But of course, Jesus wants us to do more than deflate our egos a little bit. He calls us to do something about the brokenness as well. Uh, Blessed are those who address the brokenness, verses 7 to 9. See, if you see the world as broken, if you mourn over it, if you have the spiritual eyes to see how self-destructive our culture is, then it has to change how you interact with the world, doesn't it? So just as Jesus came as a light to declare God's kingdom and to challenge the light and to exp- the darkness and to expose it and to call people out of the darkness into the light... So Jesus is calling us to be lights too. We'll get to the actual language of that next week. But even here, we're called to be like him. Kingdom people, like the king of the kingdom. To have his priorities, to to mend the brokenness where we find it. See, to follow the light is to be like the light. Jesus came to us, to those lost in darkness who didn't want him and showed us mercy. We didn't deserve him dying for us. We didn't ask him to die for us, but he did. He came to willingly rescue those who were in darkness, to show mercy to those who were not even asking for mercy. And now, verse 7, blessed are the merciful. Those who've received mercy, you see, those who will receive mercy. See, the Christian can never outgrace God. We can never do anything to reciprocate the things that God has done for us and will continue to do for us. He shows us fresh mercies every morning. And on the final day, when God judges the living and the dead, he will show us the greatest mercy in bringing us into his kingdom. We are people who are covered in mercy from head to toe every day. And so we can show mercy, compassion. We need to be like God if we're his people, if we belong to his kingdom. 
Jesus is the sun. And our little candles, they, they sort of do the same thing, don't they? We, we can never be the sun. We can never be the big balloon in the room. But we can be imitators of the sun. So who needs mercy? To whom should we be compassionate? Uh, let me suggest a few people uh, from, from the category of the weak and the vulnerable in our society that perhaps we need to keep our eyes open for. How about this list? Children, the disabled, the unborn, the elderly, the homeless, those suffering from domestic abuse, those suffering from human trafficking, refugees, and the list could go on, couldn't it? The weak and the vulnerable and the displaced, the detritus that litters the floor of our world because the strong and the powerful care not. And the Christian response to those things is to have compassion. To be merciful. And not just to think I should be merciful, but actually think, because I should be merciful, I'm going to actually be merciful. I think this is one of those areas where we as a church in this country, perhaps we in this church as well, need to heed the the call and to actually act. Not just to know truth, but to live it out. But Jesus calls us for more than mercy, doesn't he? He calls us to be pure in heart. The heart is the centre of the being in the Bible. It's not simply the centre of the emotions like it is when we talk about the heart. It's the centre of the intellect. It's the centre of the will. It's the centre of the whole human being. Okay? It organises the direction. And, and the thing is, in the Bible's terms, in Jesus' own terms, chapter 15, the heart is not a pure thing. Because out of the, the heart come all kinds of evils. Murder and lust and anger and uh, all sorts of things. Go and check out chapter 15. And yet Jesus says, my people, the people of the light, are to have an increasingly pure heart in the centre of the being. Not religious people. Christians should not be religious people. Those people who are clean on the outside. We wear our Sunday best. Actually wear a shirt for Sundays. And 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 we're polite. And we're nice to people. But on the inside, full of corruption. On the inside, full of deceit and ego, trying to inflate our balloon. I think I must have punctured this now. It's deflating even more. See, we're to see the beauty of Jesus. How he is completely consistent in everything because his heart is pure. And to be like him. Which poses a question, doesn't it? Because if we're Christians, we're mourning for sin, right? Verses 3 and 4. We're the people who see that we're sinful all through, and we, and we despair of it, and we cling to Jesus for grace, how is it that we can also be pure in heart? Well, the language is taken from the sacrificial system, purification. Are people washed through the atoning sacrifice in the temple? Well, as Christians, we are, we are clean. We're clean throughout, aren't we? Jesus has died, his blood has washed his people. In God's sight, we are pure. But if we stop there, that's a cop-out, really, isn't it? Because we know that that's true, and yet that's not an excuse for us to go on being impure in our real lives. See, the verse here is calling for Christians to be pure in heart. It's a high bar, isn't it? How does that happen? The consistent witness of the New Testament is this. You draw close to Jesus. You spend time with Jesus. You uh, let Jesus shape your ambitions, your hopes, your dreams. 
And as you reflect on Jesus, you become like him. You let the, the heat from the light source warm you, melt your heart, change you on the inside. If we're not like Jesus, is it because we haven't spent enough time with Jesus? And if we do change, if we draw near to Jesus, if we become like him, then we will see the totally pure and holy God. Our compassion, our purity of heart is to be allied finally by challenging that great enemy injustice, war, violence. Do you notice? Be peacemakers. Not simply those who keep the peace, but those who make peace. For Jesus came, didn't he? Colossians 1, to make peace. He came to reconcile us to God, 2 Corinthians 5. We have been reconciled by one who we didn't seek, the peacemaker who stepped from the outside in and restored us to God. And so clearly being peacemakers must include, if we're imitating Jesus, reconciling people to God. If you're not a Christian here and you, you've been listening to this and you're thinking, this is a great kingdom, can I say, be reconciled to God. Don't stay on the outside, don't stay in the darkness. Come to him. Be reconciled. But it has to be more than that. Because it's, it, it has to be affecting how we engage with the physical world. It means that we have to step up. Where we see these things. Where we see these injustices. We have to see the dark world for what it is. A culture that is selfish. And power hungry. And leaves the debris lying all over the floor of the weak and the vulnerable. And we have to act. We have to make peace. Peace between warring factions, war, peace between couples in marriages, peace in all sorts of places. We have to act to be a light. Consider the box again for a moment. We see the world as it really is, don't we? Jesus is the king. He's the one who takes up the space. He's the centre of everything. And our little balloon man, well, he's humbled himself quite unexpectedly to some degree there. But you see, now, now he fits. Now there's space for him because he's humbled himself. He sees his his faults. He sees that he has nothing to offer. And in his own eyes, he has diminished himself. And more than that, because he's a meek man and because he's a compassionate man and because he sees the need in a broken world, he diminishes himself further. Spends himself for those who (coughs) need care. Spends himself for others, perhaps for the unborn and the elderly. Finds a home for them too. I think I'll fit without pushing Jesus out of the box, which would be unfortunate. See, here's a person who is ready, having humbled himself, knowing that he's not better than anybody else, but seeking to live for Jesus, is out engaging the world and where he sees the brokenness, trying to mend it in the name of Christ. We engage the broken darkness by being lights in it. I could talk, uh, to to make this concrete, I could talk about abortion, I could talk about human trafficking, I could talk about all of the things I listed before and many others besides, and they're things that would be great for you to talk about with each other after the service. Let me illustrate with one thing. Uh, Recently, the the assisted dying bill was, was defeated in Parliament, but it will come again. And I don't doubt that in the fullness of time, it will be legally allowed to murder... Uh, the elderly, the disabled, people who are becoming a burden on their families. And I hope that we will stand up and we will say, no! These people are precious in the sight of God, made in his image, and very worthy of life. 
They're not powerful. They're not what our society values, but they are what Jesus values. I hope we will speak for them. But I hope we'll be ready to do more than speak. Because if all we do is stand up and tell our culture that they are wrong and offer nothing as an alternative, then we have not done what Jesus commands us to do here. Are we prepared to not only say we love you and you matter to God, but say you matter enough that I will put myself out for you? If your family don't want you, please don't kill yourself. Please come and live with us. If your family don't want you, my church has got an old people's home that we run next door to the church for those who are not wanted by their families anymore. Would you come and live with us? And we will care for you. Let me say, that has to be a reality. It was the church in history that decided the schools and the hospitals to care for the most vulnerable people. And we've let the state do it too long. And the state is about to start killing the elderly as they have been allowing us to kill unborn children for the last few decades. And as Christians, we surely have to act. We need to see the needs and we need to be compassionate, don't we? We need to love those who are suffering in the brokenness. We have to extend the grace of the gospel. We have to say to people, come and be reconciled to God because that is your greatest need. But we have to step in, surely, with other needs too where we find them. Well, finally, and uh, I'm going to be very brief on this. We'll come back to this next week. Verses 10 to 12. We can expect to be persecuted for being light. Uh, we've run out of time, and, I, and I, will, I will address this next week as the background for next week's passage. But notice, would you please, verse 10, 11, 12, the repeated word is this, persecuted. Christians, you will be persecuted. It shouldn't surprise us. Jesus came to the darkness as the light and said, here is the kingdom of God, and they killed him. Because the, darkness loved the, the people in the darkness loved the darkness because their deeds were evil. That's what John's Gospel says. People prefer the darkness and they hate the light that exposes their deeds. And so if we are little lights, and if as a church we are a shining light in this area, if we are imitating Christ, if we're living like Christ, if we speak and live like Christ and we address the darkness and we call it out for what it is, we can expect to be vilified as bigots. We can expect to lose our jobs, our freedoms, our civil rights, even our lives, perhaps, in the fullness of time. I was talking to a friend of mine about this, um, who happened to be preaching this passage later on today in one of the other co-mission churches, and we were chatting about this, and he said, you know, back when I was at university, he said, there was one night, one o'clock in the morning, walking along the street on the way back from a party, so I bumped into one of the girls from my college. She was lying in the gutter, asleep, passed out. He said, you know, a friend and I, we, we picked her up and we carried her back and we put her in her bedroom, and the next day in, at breakfast, she hollered at us. She says, how dare you judge me in front of everybody else in the college dining room? I wasn't judging her. I didn't want her to get raped lying in the gutter. Any number of things could have happened to you. All I did was pick you up. But because he, he picked her up because he was the only sober person at the party. He lived differently, you see. And he saw a need and he was compassionate to it. And she hated it. Why? I imagine if anybody else there had picked her up, no problem at all. But she was dismissed, he was dismissed as judgmental because he had compassion, but also because he lived differently. Do you see? We can expect the world to hate us as we stand out. But do you see? We are called to be like Jesus. It's not a choice. We can't stand on the cusp of the darkness and the light. We have to be fully committed to the light. There is no middle ground. 
And as we do that, as we shine like lights in a dark world, we can expect people to come to Christ. Perhaps some of you are here today because you've seen change in your friends. And you say, there is light here in a dark world. Some will come to faith because we stand out for Christ. And that's surely enough of a reason to do it. And we are purposed to be like Christ. And that is surely enough of a reason to do it. But we have to be realistic. There will be hard times along the way. And we need to remember, that's always been the case. They persecuted the prophets who were before you. They persecuted Christ. And a servant is not above his master. Should we pray? Loving Lord Jesus, how we praise you that you came when the whole world was darkness. And you came out of your own love for your people. And you spoke and you lived and you died and rose again to open a door for people like us to come into your kingdom. And we praise you for so many of us here who've who've done that. And I do pray that these words of yours that are so convicting and challenging would become life for us. That we would change day by day. That we would crucify ourselves in your sight. That we would mourn over our sin. That we would mourn over the brokenness of our world. That we would have compassion on those who are suffering in its brokenness. And we would seek not only to reconcile people to God, but also to heal the brokenness where we find it. And our loving Lord Jesus, we know that as you were persecuted, so we we will be. And we accept that as as a cost that is worth bearing for the sake of the lost who need to see your light. So please would you renew us and help us to live this life in the coming weeks and months for your glory. Amen. Ash, thank you. Well, we've run a little bit over time and uh, we've got some case judgment to do. So we're going to move on uh, in a moment to do that upstairs.